Up here, we're continuing our series, as you can see, where we're looking at these virtue signals, signals that we as Christians should be demonstrating to the world to show that we are different in how we live. And before we begin today's topic, I do have to say, the last three signals, faith, hope, and love, are all virtues. They're all character traits that we as Christians should be grasping onto and living out. But these next two weeks, today and next week, are going to be a little bit different because they aren't necessarily virtues that we can live out. But they are still signals to the world of what we believe about God and how God has saved us. And so I think that that's a really important signal that the world needs to see. What How we live signifies how we understand our own salvation. And today we're going to be looking, as I've said several times today already, about this most basic tenet of Christianity. And that is that we are saved by God's grace. We've all heard that phrase, that we're saved by God's grace. As one pastor said, no grace, no gospel. And this is an important distinction because grace is the defining characteristic of Christianity that makes it different than all the other religions of the world. The rest of the religions of the world have things that you need to do or you need to accomplish or rungs on the ladder that you need to climb to achieve some state closer to God. In all the religions of the world, it is based on your effort, your actions, what you can do to make yourself holier. But Christianity flips that all on its head because grace says we can't do it, but God is the one who does it for us. Christianity, the only true religion which God defined for us, is where God reached down towards humanity, gave himself as the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that we couldn't find. There's no perfect animal that we could have slaughtered to atone for our sin. It was only God in flesh and his blood sacrificed for us. And so God doing all the heavy lifting on our behalf and us reaping all the rewards of being able to be made right with God, that is the very definition of grace. And that is what makes Christianity different than all the rest of the religions of the world. That is why the gospel is good news. Because it's not based on us and our failings. The problem is, many non-Christians, when they look at Christians today, that's not what they see. Instead, non-Christians say that the two things that seem most Uh, what they see most clearly, the reputation that Christians most have with non-Christians is that of being judgmental and angry. Back in 2007, a big study was done. And between the 18 to 29-year-old demographic, so the teens and the 20s, 90% of them said they thought Christians were a judgmental lot. That we were just people that looked at them and said, good, bad, really bad. Clean yourself up before you come to church. And how did they get to that understanding? Some of them were probably raised in the church. 
Some of them probably grew up going to church. And churches didn't try to say, hey, we want to be judgmental. But just the way we taught about all the rules and obey the Ten Commandments and do this and don't do that and don't run and dress right and do your hair right because you're going to church, it creates, without meaning to, this world where I, I, kids were raised thinking, well, going to church means I have to do everything right. I can relate to that. I was raised in that environment. While my church might not have been a Baptist church, it was very similar. You had to do everything right. And people were very well-meaning in that. And in fact, I got that understanding that I was a little bit better than my friends who didn't go to church. Nobody tried to drive that into me, but I started being judgmental. And I thought, well, that's how Christians are supposed to be because we have the truth and we're doing it right. So I was a little boastful about it. I have one story, actually. My next door neighbor and my best friend, uh, Mike Jeffers, was a Baptist. But I was a Pentecostal. And I didn't know if he was going to heaven because he was just a Baptist. And we had people who spoke in tongues in my church, and he didn't. And so I had this pride. I was like, well, Mike, you know, you need to have the Holy Spirit. And I didn't understand how this all works at all. My theology is completely different than that as I'm a Baptist pastor now. Uh, however, what it shows is for those inside the church, inadvertently, many of them came away with this perception that the church is judgmental. And yet there's a whole other demographic of those who are outside the church who are likely the object of the judgment. They had tattoos, they had piercings, they got pregnant before they were married, and they've heard well-meaning Christians say, oh, you shouldn't do that, God wouldn't be very happy with you, oh, that's sin, and you're going to go to hell if you do that. I mean, Christians have said a lot of things that, while yes, they may be true, to the person who's on the receiving end, they do not feel very loving, and in fact, they feel very judgy. And as a result, they don't say, oh, you're right, I'm going to get my life right. They push against it and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Or they might say, okay, but I feel uncomfortable going to church until I clean myself up so I can be good enough that I can go to church and not feel judged. And you see how this creates a big mess. And many of you have probably either experienced it or talked to your children or your grandchildren and had this exact conversation because 90% of them are feeling this way. Another way that they, a lot of people see Christians is that we're angry. That we're always upset about something. That there's always something that's going wrong. Uh, in the research, there's a quote that I read where one of the respondents said, it just seems to me that Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They're so negative, they seem unhappy. And I don't want anything to do with that. And so you've got this perception, real or not, it doesn't matter. If the world thinks that we're a judgmental, angry lot, then that's almost the opposite of people who recognize we're saved by grace. So as Christians, we believe, let's, let's really think about this, we believe that we're so loved by God that He sent His Son to us as this free gift through no works of our own. And He forgives us. And He gives us an eternity with Him. And yet the world sees us as judgmental and angry because the world isn't going our way. Do you see the disconnect here? We should be recognized as being so joy-filled, so thankful, saying, Jesus, thank you for everything you did on the cross. 
that I can be forgiven, that I can be made righteous, that I have your Holy Spirit now living in me, that we recognize we've been so gifted and blessed that they just see joy in our hearts. Somehow we have this massive disconnect. And it comes to our understanding of what grace is. And so today we're going to look at what grace is and how we can live lives so that people don't see judgmental and angry, but they see grace lived out and that they want that in their own lives. But before we get into grace, I want to show you why I'm including grace this week and truth is going to be next week in our series on these virtue signals. You see, there's two bright, shining lights that emanate from the one that we worship, Jesus Christ. And John talks about this in his very first chapter of the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of John. So in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 17, we read these words. The Word, that's Jesus Christ, became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We celebrate that at Christmas. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Those are the words of John the Baptist he's quoting there. From the fullness of His grace, of Jesus' grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, that's the Old Testament covenant. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. These are enormous and pregnant statements. Basically, John is setting the stage to show how this incredible grace of God was about to be made most visibly manifest and demonstrated, not only through how Jesus lived and how He taught, but also through His sacrificial death on the cross, taking the penalty that we all deserved so that we could instead experience eternal life. And we can't separate truth from God's grace as they give us this full and balanced picture of how God relates to us. Full of grace and truth. That's why we're hitting both these words in back-to-back -back weeks. The problem that we as Christians make sometimes is when we elevate truth and obedience, and if you don't get it right, you're going to hell. And when we keep saying those messages, but we don't balance it with God's love, his forgiveness, His grace, and His mercy. When you lean too heavily on the truth of God, the world looks and says, all you are is a bunch of judgmental people telling me all the ways that I've done things wrong. And they don't see that God is a loving, gracious, forgiving God who wants to be in relationship with them and who wants to forgive them of their sin. If only He'd give them a shot. They miss that first piece. That's why it's so important for all of us to have a fully orbed understanding of what God's grace means to us. And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 today. I think that's the best chapter in Scripture. If you want to turn to Ephesians 2 right now, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. The entire book of Ephesians is loaded with doctrine, teaching about God's grace. It's very similar to the book of Romans. Paul wrote both of them. 
But today we're going to look specifically in chapter 2 and four key lessons that we learn about grace as we read these first nine verses. This is how it begins, verse 1. As for you, you were dead, spiritually dead, in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that'd be the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That describes the state of every single person who's ever lived before they come to put their faith in Jesus. Verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We're going to stop right there. So, what are the lessons that we learned in this passage? First, we have to start off with the phrase that was repeated twice. We are saved by grace. He says that twice. It's very clearly the main point that Paul is trying to make in this entire passage. And so here's where we have to begin. Basically, our salvation is solely the work of God's grace towards us. Like I've said at the beginning, of all the world's religions, salvation always comes through our own effort, our achievements. But God did it the other way. We are saved solely by what He did for us. That's what grace is. And so this includes, as the text tells us, being saved from God's wrath. Being made alive with Christ. And our future in the heavenly realms. All of this is what's encapsulated when we say we have God's grace in our lives. We don't have to face the wrath we deserve. And instead, we have this incredible future that we could have never earned. Secondly, grace is a gift. Did you see that word, gift? And when you think of grace as a gift, it gives you a much better understanding of what we do with it and how we need to treat it. A gift is unearned. It's like a surprise that we don't get to choose for ourselves, but the gift giver knows I've got this incredible thing. I know you're going to love it. I can't wait to give it to you and for you to open it up. That's what God has done. He's given us this incredible thing that if we could have written down in our lostness all the things we wanted, we never would have listed what God has in store for us. And it makes sense that this has to come from God and not from ourselves because when you look at the beginning of the passage, it says, we were dead in our, trans- in our trespasses, in our sin. Dead people can't make themselves come alive. 
We can't gain any spiritual achievement if we're dead. That can only happen when somebody, Jesus, chooses to make us alive and He brings us back from the dead. Spiritual death. We can't do that. That's a gift that He offers to us. Nobody can earn that. If they could, then they'd be able to boast about it. But it makes sense when you're thinking about a gift, when you have a kid who's like, you know, mom and dad gives them this incredible gift, but they feel like, well, you know, I knew that I was going to get the video game system. They're not very grateful for it. They just go around and they're like, yeah, well, I got the latest, greatest video game system. What did you get? And they have this snarky, I deserved it, I've got the best attitude. Nobody likes that boastful kid. What we want as Christians is to be like the kid who's so wowed. They can't believe what mom and dad got them for Christmas. You bought me that? And they're so stunned. And they're so amazed that they're just like, I can't believe it. They're so grateful and thankful and appreciative. We love those kids. We love seeing that response. That's the response that God wants from us, His children, as we receive this incredible gift that comes from His hands. We can't be like, well, you know, I work pretty hard. I do a lot of the right things. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I go to church regularly. Of course I'm saved. That's a brat. That's a boastful, self-conceited Christian. Jesus doesn't want that. We're saved by faith, by grace, through faith, so that no one can boast. We need to be thankful, grateful, not saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty great person. I do drop money in the plate every week. Third lesson is that love leads to grace. Grace is the outflow, the result of God's great love for us, the text tells us. That's why last week we talked about, we had faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But when you have a heart that's brimming to the top with love, it's got to overflow, and that overflow looks like God's grace. Typically, when you give a gift, like God gives to us, you give it to those you love, to those you care about. Your attitude towards a person makes you inclined to do good to them. And that's where God's grace comes from. His gift of salvation is because He created us and He loved us so much. He wanted, even though we made a mess of it, like I said before communion, all the Old Testament is just story after story after story of humans failing God. But He's faithful and He kept coming back for us because He loves us so much. And He offers this gift to us even though He knows all of us have screwed up time and time and time again. And guess what? You're going to screw up again. But that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means that God's grace is bigger than your failures. He saw our pathetic plight. He knew we were spiritually dead and unable to do anything about it. So his love intervened, even though it came at an incredible cost. And the final lesson we see in this passage is that the grace is expressed in his kindness to us. I loved we saw that word kindness. It puts a little more tangible skin on what God's grace looks like. It's not only salvation, but it's also kindness and all these other blessings in our lives. We have to recognize as followers of Jesus, everything we have comes from God's good hand. It's His grace that gives us 
what we have, our job every new day, the rain, the harvest, our health, roofs over our heads. These are blessings from God. We don't earn them. We don't deserve them. And when we understand that and when we live that way, the world will see us as grateful, kind-hearted, loving people. Not judgmental, angry people fighting for what I deserve type of people. So, that's what God's grace towards us looks like. And what God's grace does in a spirit or in a theological sense. It places His righteousness on us so that on the day of judgment when that comes, and it is going to come, that He's going to see us as perfect and as pure just like His Son Jesus is perfect. You see, God's grace is the contrast to judgment. And we have to hold these two things in tension. Some Christians would like to focus on God's grace only and just say, Jesus loves you, you can do no wrong, everything's fine. But that's an unbalanced gospel. That's not right either. As we talked about in our last series, judgment is coming. There is going to be a last day where we'll stand before a judge. But we have to understand, while both these things are true about God, they're kind of in contrast with one another. With grace coming first. You see, grace is a gift that's made available to everybody. Judgment comes second. And it's not a gift. It is due, you, are, you receive whatever is due to you. If you stand in a court of law, you could, if you're being held in court, you know, to be judged if you did a crime or not. At the end of the judgment, if the facts look like you did it, they say guilty and you go to prison. Yet you can also have a great day in court. You can sue somebody for doing you great financial hardship. And the judge can say, you're right. The facts say they did great financial hardship and you win a sum of money to get back what had been taken from you. So in a judgment, you can receive the good and you can receive the bad, but it's based on what you actually did. And that is part of God's character as well. But God's grace is the good news part that wows people. It's like saying that you won the lottery and you've received everything you could have ever imagined. If that's you, you'd see lottery winners. They're floored. They're blown away by it. Unfortunately, many of them squander it. They waste it, and five years later, they don't have anything to say for it, and they're just angry, bitter people for what they've lost. Somehow, a lot of Christians are like lottery winners, that somehow they had a saving moment, and they're like, praise God, I'm forgiven. But then years later, when people look at them, they go, why is she so angry? Why is she always mad about everything? I don't know, we've lost our view of what grace is. We've lost our vision for this incredible gift that God has given to us. Too often, too often, however, Christians are so focused on this judgment of God because of the obedience and the righteousness piece. We forget to project that standard onto those, or so as a result, we project that standard onto others who aren't Christians. We say, well, this is how I know I'm supposed to live according to the Bible. And so this is how you need to live. And we tell people, you're living in sin. You're doing it wrong. And that's not what they want to hear. And so those people feel hurt. They feel judged. And they're not interested in coming 
to learn about this God that we're projecting onto them all of his righteousness. They don't see that the first step in our lives was the grace that changed our lives, that we saw that God gave us a gift that he forgave us, that we didn't do anything to earn it. They don't see that first step. All they see is the second step. And so what they get is this very twisted view of Christianity. They're getting the wrong signal being sent from our lives. One of earn it. Do the right things like me. And what's so messed up is earn it to get God's favor is exactly the story of all the other religions of the world. And what we've said is Christianity is different from the religions of the world because we can't earn it. So we've got to stop projecting that message. And we have to lead with grace and love. And there is truth. And we're going to talk about that next week. But what so many of your family members need to hear, what so many of the young families in this community need to hear, is that God loves them. He cares for them. He sent His Son to die for them. He has a hope and a future. And He wants to be in relationship with them. That's the message that a hurting, angry world needs today. Right now, they are not interested in hearing about their sin. They've heard about that, and they have rejected that message. They need to hear about God's grace first. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, Jesus is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells them, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the, same, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I know some of you might say, but pastor, this passage still ends with helping take the speck out of your brother's eye. And it does, because we need to hold each other accountable. But at the same time, that's after we deal with our own stuff and we come at to them with love and wanting the best for them and not just being angry or hateful or defensive or attacking because we don't like their way of life. Do you see how that's totally different? Jesus Ultimately, Jesus is the judge, and he's a perfect judge. And in a lot of regards, I think we need to allow Jesus, let him be the judge. We don't need to be the judge. We need to be people who say, have you ever encountered God's grace? It's incredible. And we tell them about judgment. That's next week. I'm putting a lot off to next week. But at the same time, we have to understand what they need to hear is about the grace and the love of God. As sinners saved by grace, we have to stop leading with judgment and instead lead with loving graciousness. Okay, so here's how I want this message to impact all of our lives going forward. If you skip ahead to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As imitators of God, we can't offer the same grace to people, the saving grace 
that God is able to offer. But we can live out the outworking of grace. The kindness, the mercy, the forgiveness, and the love. All those acts, we can show that to others. That's what God's grace looks like for us. We can do that for others. We just simply can't offer saving grace. In fact, if you back up to the previous verse, right before 5.1, the very last verse of chapter 4, he tells us what that grace can look like. He writes, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The words after that. Be imitators of God. You put this all together. That's the life that we should be living. That's what non-Christians should see when they look at how we live and how we treat them. Last week we talked about the virtue of love. Living a grace-filled life is the outworking of that love. It is the overflow of that. Doing for others what they do not deserve and what they could never earn. And as we live that countercultural life, as we live with that joy in knowing that our salvation is secure, not from ourselves, but from Jesus, then we hope that the world will notice that we have something different. They should not see judgment and anger. We need to stop wearing that as a badge. And we want them to instead see our kindness, our generosity, and our joy. Grace, while not a virtue that we put on, is most importantly a gift that God has given us. And it truly is what makes the gospel good news. Grace is unique to Christianity. Grace is unique to Jesus. Jesus brought, brought the fullness of grace and truth. And so that needs to be the signal that we demonstrate to the world. They need to see we live differently, not earning our religion, but receiving our religion and our faith as a grace from God. So let's make sure that we aren't part of the problem of misrepresenting our faith to others who all think Christians are just judgy, angry people. Let's be part of this solution. Let's show them by how we live that we are filled with joy and gratitude, thankfulness and love. That we're people who live out the love and grace that Jesus has shown to us. May we always cherish this gift of grace. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?